Hi, Gary Zacharias again with the Apologist Bookshelf. I've got another book by John Lennox that I wanted to share right now. Uh, Lennox wrote 2084. I've already referred to that in the past in another podcast. But uh, just to give you an idea, Lennox is a professor of math at the University of Oxford. Um, just an amazing guy. He's written God's Undertaker. Subtitle has Science Buried God. Looks at science and theology lectures. He's got some wonderful YouTube videos where he clashes kindly with uh, people who disagree with him. He's just a wonderful speaker. Seems like a kind of guy you'd love to have around the house just to sit down and talk to him. So this is a book called Seven Days That Divide the World. Uh, subtitled The Beginning According to Genesis and Science. So he's going to take on an issue that uh, creates a, a firestorm among Christians about uh, creation. When did it happen? How, does, how should we read Genesis? Now, in fact, uh, the book cover says, what did the writer of Genesis mean by the first day? Are the seven days a literal week or a series of time periods? If I believe the earth is four and a half billion years old, am I denying the authority of Scripture? So these are tough things that Christians wrestle with. But um, people that have appreciated this book, they've commented on it. What I like about it is it's not overwhelming. It's uh, less than 200 pages, and he has all sorts of wonderful footnotes that let you know where he got his information. I'd like to uh, cover chapter 3. Maybe I should tell you first the kinds of uh, topics that he covers in here. So here's his table of contents. He says, a lesson from history, and then a lesson about scripture, and then how old is the earth? Human beings, are they a special creation? And then he has some appendices. Uh, one of them I like especially, it's about theistic evolution. And uh, so anyway, I wanted to do chapter three, and it's subtitled, But Is It Old? The Days of Creation. And he says, you know, if you think about it, there are people who believe that the Days of Genesis are 24-hour days of one earth week, which, of course, makes the universe extremely young. But he said, you know, then you've got others who believe that the universe is ancient, uh, probably millions of years old. And so he said both positions go back a long way. Neither one is a recent invention. So he says if you take people like Luther and Calvin, they held to the 24-hour view. But he said even others interpreted it differently. Philo is a Jewish author. And some of the early church fathers like Justin Martyr and Irenaeus, uh, they mentioned Second Peter 3a where it says, With the Lord one day is a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. So there are people who have kind of lined up on both sides of it. So I'm going to skip over this part of that. He says, you know, it's important to know that people that understood Genesis as 24-hour days probably were the, they represent the dominant view for many centuries. And so he says, uh, well, then you've got the clash or the tension between people who think that Genesis is to be read as history. And then you've got other people who say, well, there are timeless truths there, but they're done through figurative theological language. And he says it's obvious, of course, that Genesis is coming to us from a very different time and a very different culture. So we have to kind of interpret how they might have uh, seen the information that's included there. He then, uh, Linux then goes on and talks about the main views that Christians hold today. There's the 24-hour view, the day-age view, and something called framework. And that's one that probably most of us are less familiar with. But let me run through these three as Linux proposes or tells you about them. Of course, the 24-hour view, there were seven 24-hour days, creation day one, day two, day three, day four. It was one earth week. 
somewhere six to 10,000 years ago. So they call that the young earth view. Then you have the day age view, sometimes called older earth. And the days are in chronological order, but there are huge gaps of time between them. And they each represent a period of time of unspecified length. So you could end up with millions and millions and possibly billions of years. The one, though, that I wanted to, and by the way, I have uh, some videos that I've done, some uh, things that you can go to my website, apologeticsforlife.org, and you can read and listen to what I've said about this, because I try to talk about these views, and I show you some um, PowerPoints that you can take a look at. The one that's less familiar for people is called the framework view. Okay, so framework. It talks about logical order, but it's not really interested in chronological order. So the way they view it is <clears throat> days one to three form a triad, and that parallels days four to six. So here's the example. Day one, you get light. So that's giving form or structure to something that didn't have a form. All right, then day four, right, there's the parallel, is the luminaries, like the sun and the moon. So day one was giving form or structure to something that wasn't there before. And then the second one is filling that form that's been created but it's empty. How about day two? Well, what got formed were seas and skies. Day five, it was filled with sea creatures and wing creatures. How about day three? You got seas, you got dry land, you got vegetation. How did that get filled? That was day six land animals and humans. So it almost helps if you imagine a chart. You've got day one, two, three going down the side on the left. Up at the top, you say forming. Next to it on the right, you say filling. And then so you get day one, day two, day three. You get under forming, you get light, sea and skies. Then you get sea, dry land, vegetation. How did they get filled? Go back up to where you had light. Go to the right for day one, plug in. Day four, luminaries, like the sun and the moon. For day five, line that up with day two. How did the skies and seas get filled? Wing creatures and sea creatures. Day three, the seas, dry land, vegetation appear. How did they get filled through land, animals, and humans on day six? So it's a parallelism, and it's, it's striking. All right, so let's, let's go on beyond that. So that just gives you some ideas here of what people have uh, come up with. Another view that I, th I have mentioned in a book, uh, another podcast is called Theistic Evolution, but I think I'll skip over that for now. I'm just doing what Lennox talks about here. He does have a appendix that talks about theistic evolution. Okay, so let's pick up with a key a word that we need to know, and that's day. How does it get interpreted in the beginning of Genesis? It's a Hebrew word, yom, and we first meet it in Genesis 1.5, Lennox says, God called the light day and the darkness called night. Well, if you read it naturally, day is contrasted with night. So it's obviously not a 24-hour day. It's in the sense of daytime. That would be something like 12 hours. Then go to Genesis 1.5. The second time, it's again in Genesis 1.5. It's in the context of saying that day one involves evening and morning. Well, now day sounds like it's 24-hour day. So now we have two meanings for the word day just in the same verse. Now, go down to where the seventh day, the Sabbath, is mentioned. 
God rests from the work. There's no mention of evening or morning there like the other six days. And, and uh, many authors have pointed that out and say says we need a explanation for it. So the seventh day is definitely different than the first six. And if you read some of the other verses in the Bible, we find out we're still today even in God's Sabbath rest. So this seventh day is obviously way longer than one 24-hour period. And so because it's this long period of time, then some people think that the other days could be similarly long too. If you go to Genesis 2.4, Lennox points out that in some translations, it says this, when God created, well, the word when in Hebrew is in the day God created. Now, in the day, that's obviously not 24 hours. He said, Lennox says, imagine an elderly man saying, in my day, there were very few aircraft in the sky. So his day is a lengthier period of time, not just a day of the week. So Lennox is wrapping all this up to say that the word day has several distinct meanings just in the beginning two chapters of Genesis. And uh, they're natural. Each one's literal, but uh, it's odd, isn't it? So what do we to make of this? Well, let's go to the nature of the creation week itself. This is crucial. I, I think this is really interesting. Lennox says you've got the initial creation act. That's in the first two chapters of Genesis 1. is separated from the six days of creation that follow it. So, according to the text, day 1 begins in verse 3, not in verse 1. The verb created in Genesis 1.1 means an event that took place before the story gets underway. So the use of the narrative tense, he says, begins in verse 3. So what does all this imply? Well, Lennox says that beginning at Genesis 1-1 doesn't necessarily take place on day 1, as is assumed by so many people. So, catch this. This means, at least here's a possible interpretation, that the age of the earth is a separate question from the interpretation of the days. He says that's often overlooked. So, What's his takeaway? That the text of Genesis 1-1, in separating the beginning from day one, leaves the age of the universe completely up in the air. It's indeterminate. So, he says, you could actually believe in those creation days being 24-hour days, but the universe being ancient, because verse 1 is separate from those days. So, we could have a huge gap between verse 1 and then the start of the creation. So, that's fascinating. Um he says there's another possibility. The writer didn't intend for people to think of the first six days as a, a typical earth week, but maybe a sequence of six creation days. So God creates, and then maybe a long period of time goes by, and then God creates, and then another long period of time goes by. So he says it's possible that these individual days might have been separated from one another by some extended period of time. At each stage, whenever that day happens, whether it's 24 hours or whether it's uh, literally 20, uh, 24 hours or a chunk of time, at each stage, God is injecting some more information and energy. You can't get the, the, the uh, evolution to bring this about. You need new information. So the six creation days could be spaced out over a long period of time or they could be boom, boom, boom after each other. Now he says uh, one consequence, if, if this is true, that God interjects and all of a sudden, boom, there's more information. He said, what do geologists tell us? Well, he says that that's what they're finding. The fossil evidence 
suggest sudden appearance of new levels of complexity. And then there are periods where nothing seems to be happening. So anyway, let's let's pick up uh, beyond that. Um, let's go to the problematic fourth day. Why is that a problem? He says, if there's a chronological dimension to the days, how is it that the sun was made on day four? Does that mean the sun came into existence on day four? Well, how do you understand earlier verses that talk about evenings and mornings? How can you have a day if there's no sun there? Well, he said some have postulated maybe there's some kind of non-solar light source for the first three days. He says, well... And he, what he's doing here is talking about Hugh Ross, especially. I've read a lot of Hugh Ross's books. One suggestion is that on day four, the sun, moon, and stars appear because the point of view is from the earth, from the surface of the earth. And on day four, the sun, moon, and stars appear when that cloud cover that had been completely enveloping the earth, when that dissipated. So that's a possibility, too. Anyway, this should give you just an idea of what's uh, going on here with this chapter. He's got notes at the end. Oh, oh let me uh, share with you uh, an interesting quotation, quotation from John Mark Reynolds, who's a young earther. He said, We can admit that it, as recent creationists, that's what he means, he's a young earth person, as recent creationists, we are defending a very natural biblical account at the cost of abandoning a very plausible scientific picture of an old cosmos. He says, but over the long term, this is not a tenable position. In our opinion, old earth creationism combines a less natural textual reading with a much more plausible scientific vision. And uh, Reynolds says at the moment, this would seem the more rational position to adopt. Isn't that interesting? So John Mark Reynolds is a young earth person, but he's saying actually the old earth position seems more rational. Now, there are a lot of reasons to reject the uh, theistic of a evolution perspective. I've written about that, and uh, we can talk about it in another uh, podcast. But uh, the young earth and the framework and the old earth positions are really interesting. Of course, uh, Morris, uh, the Morris family, they've written extensively on the young earth position, and Dwayne Gish has. And um, well, anyway, so you've got several people. Ken Ham is a young earth position. A good old earth position to take a look at sometime would be Hugh Ross. Uh, so Ken Ham has answers in Genesis and Hugh Ross has reasons.org. So you might take a look at those because I think they're both fascinating. Uh, we don't want to fight with each other. We're, we're, opposed to, we're all opposed to evolution. We, we think you can't have this kind of uh, creation happening without some kind of guidance going on there from outside. So... Um, anyway, just to give you an idea that Linux has tackled something very interesting here, very accessible, easy to read, uh, fascinating book. Again, it's called Seven Days That Divide the World. Well, thank you very much, and I uh, hope you have a good rest of your day, and let's do another podcast soon.